I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelazola, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube on Wednesday afternoon or morning. It's morning. It's afternoon overseas, though, across the pond. It's morning somewhere. But it's morning for most of us here on the East, uh, Eastern Time Zone. I'm back on Wednesday here. Yeah. Had some very important management meetings. And, uh, How'd they go? It was, it was mediocre. Yeah. Mediocre. Okay. We had some very important stuff we had to do. Some, some workshops, some exercises. Exercises. Oh yeah, did some exercises. Did some like thing. theoretical some or like you did a workout? No, I haven't exercised in okay. months. Gotcha. Real, but um, exercise the brain. Oh jeez, mess here. <laughs> but I'm back on a Wednesday. It's my favorite show because there's no, there's nothing to talk about. We just ramble. You just out here slamming on the table, like slamming a, tables, like your Chris Collins work. Pounding coffee. Oh, I forgot to take my pills this morning. Stop smashing your hand on the table next to the microphone. Oh yeah, people. Was people complaining about that? I mean, they complained about it when Chris was on the show and he spent the entire time just the smacking table. the table. I will but, not hit the table anymore. Yeah. So today, we got, we got some stuff to discuss. We're going to talk Justin Fields and you know his potential trade value for the Bears. We'll get into the Justin Fields decision for the Chicago Bears. Uh, there's a new report from our friend, Tom Curran. Um, I don't know if it's an official report. He just kind of like casually dropped it on... Uh, Seems to do that these days. Like yeah. Just drop out what is seismic game-changing information randomly in this in the course of an interview. He dropped it casually on uh, local New England TV show that I've been on before over yeah. there, early edition, and, you know, essentially drops that, yeah, the, the decision to move yeah, on. By the Bill way, Belichick. the Patriots are getting rid of Bill Belichick. By the way, they're moving on. I know they won a game last week, and they just had fun on the set of College Game Day and everything, which was great, by the way. I don't know if you saw any of Belichick on College Game Day. Saw him bring out his own old Navy helmet. Yeah, it was yeah. very entertaining. I mean, he was just rattling off plays from like the '64 Army Navy game. The that was his actual game. old Navy helmet, right? Like that was what he wore. He didn't play at didn't, Navy. His dad play? coached. Didn't he play somewhere? He played like D three or something. Okay. He pulled out the Navy helmet from a 1964 game, or something to that effect. Yeah. But his dad coached there for like 30 years. Right. And he's Navy through and through. Um. Anyway, so uh, Tom Curran, our friend just casually drops that Bill Belichick is out mm. in New England at the end of the season. Um, so we'll discuss that, and we'll, we'll answer some, some mailbag. Yep. Sound good? Yeah. How were your shows? So yesterday, you guys spent a long time talking about Monday Night Football. Well, it was, there was two games. Yeah. Double Monday Night Football. Yeah. It was, I mean, we had... Featuring cutlets. What did you guys say about cutlets yesterday? A Cut, hero for Italian-Americans like me. The NFC Player of the Week. To go with AFC Player of the Week, Zach Wilson. Uh-huh. Who would have seen that coming? What more do you need? Yeah. They just battled a few weeks back. New York it just didn't coming look good. like that was going to be their future a few weeks ago. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we'll have a great show. You want to get into fields or you want to talk about cutlets? No, no, we've done cutlets. I am dying to make <laughs> my mom. I want my mom's chicken cutlets right now. Well, we've got to look better than the ones ESPN had on that graphic thing. Yeah, that, was, that looked like um, country fried steak. Yeah. Very, very well done, yes. whatever they showed. It looked like someone that had only been sort of vaguely described cutlets 
and just had to put it on a graphic. It does. Oh, you mean like AI? Yeah, maybe. Make me make me a graphic. For, or just, uh, you know, an intern that didn't know what they were and was just like, what are cutlets? Oh, they're, the, you know, and that's what you ended up Show with. Show me what the DeVito family might be having for Christmas dinner. There it is. Now look at that. What Those is are that? Not, that's a country fried steak that's been cooked for 12 hours. Yeah. I mean, they look, you know is. what they actually look like? They look like giant, um, you know, sea scallops in the, the shell. You know, like before you scrape the crap off them and get the actual scallop out from inside the shell like that's what that looks like yeah those are not uh those are not cutlets for tommy so everybody's having fun but yeah tommy devito playing playing good ball right now mm -hmm. for the giants all right you want to get into some justin fields discussion the actual in show the, yeah in the bears um so for the second straight year the bears in this power position when it comes to the draft i don't know what their updated odds are but the panthers are two games they're ahead. Going, yeah they're going to have the number one yeah. pick the panthers are two games ahead or behind depending on how you want to look at it of the next closest team to be awarded the number one overall pick. That pick, of course, will go to the Bears. Uh, Drake May of UNC has officially declared for the draft. I don't know if Caleb Williams has officially yet, but we're expecting him to be there. So the Bears, for the second straight year, have this decision of having the number one overall pick, choosing the top quarterback in the draft, whomever that you think that may be, or um, trading out of there, or sticking with Justin Fields, whatever, you know, all these different options. This year, clearly, I think the top of the draft, people feel a lot better about Caleb Williams and Drake May than they do or did Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud last year mm -hmm. and Anthony Richardson and the other guys involved there. So what are the Bears going to do? Because they're, they're going to have pick number one. They have pick number seven as of right now. Is that right? Yeah, but we, we talked yesterday. It One win drops them to like 13 or something at the yeah. moment. So it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter. They have two first-round picks. The point being, they're going to have the number one pick. The number one pick's the most, the, the most important one, of course, is deciding on the quarterback. And I always use the balance sheet example, the balance sheet of if you keep Justin Fields and you make two picks versus making the pick and trading Justin Fields, what can you get and what goes on? So what are your, what's your initial reaction to what Chicago might do here at the top of the draft? I just, I don't think that Justin Fields can show you enough this season to warrant keeping him and not resetting and going with a rookie. Um, whether it's Caleb Williams, whether it's Drake May, I'm sure there's going to be one of those guys you like. And at that point, I think you reset. You, you've already built some pretty good starting foundation pieces. You know, the DJ Moore trade was important. Um, bringing in uh, a new offensive tackle, Darnell Wright doing some moves on the defense, bringing in uh, some cornerstone pieces there. Like, I think you're, this thing is moving in the right direction already, and I just don't think we've seen enough from Justin Fields to say that he is definitely the guy to the point that you would trade away what I assume would be the number one pick as opposed to use it on a non-quarterback position. Now, the, the thing that complicates this decision, of course, is the contract because Justin Fields is in his third year. Before next season, they're going to have to make a decision on his fifth-year option, which is 2025. And so next year, he'll be pretty well cost-controlled for 2024. But you'll have to have already made a decision for 25, which puts him up, um, what, like $15 million range or so, fifth-year option. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Either way. but And then you'd have to figure out a long-term deal. So like within the next two years, the price for Justin Fields goes way up versus the number one overall pick is going to average about 40 million over his first four years. So between 24 and 27, you're only gonna be on the hook for about say 40 million for Caleb Williams or Drake May, whoever you decide 
at the top of the draft. That's another factor in this whole thing. So you, so even if you decided Justin Fields was better, even if you're like, hey, I like Justin Fields in year four right. more than I like Caleb Williams, Drake May in year one, you have to factor in the price for Fields and the fact that Fields would probably – I mean, he's going to get you something if you trade him. Yeah. And so we, that's part of this decision. We can get into what that looks like right. as well. It's what Fields is now. It's what he can become, and it's how much it's going to cost to keep him around if you've decided he is the guy long term. Like, it's going to get a lot more expensive for him to be your guy going forward, even if, you've, even if you think he has turned a corner and he can be, you know, this amazing quarterback. I just – I can't see a way that you can really talk yourself into that as the better option of the two. Even though, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush type of thing. Even though you're better, you might be better with the devil you know in Justin Fields. Like it's going to get more expensive. We've already seen a lot of bad from him, and you can reset the clock. Let's see. So you don't think Justin Fields can learn any new skills here? I'm sure he can, but as I say, it's going to get more expensive even if he does. And we've seen so much bad at this point that you're asking him to accelerate whatever developmental arc he's on and continue it, which is risky. Let's come back and, and break down what Fields could do. But as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's fi financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting health questions. Um, so we have people like uh, Dan Orlovsky, still a believer mm -hmm. in Justin Fields. Um, by the way, we're going to have this discussion a lot between now and the draft or whenever the Bears decide to trade out or keep the pick or whatever it might be. So we're just, we're just kicking it off right now. But... Even if Fields can be a starter, a good starter, I always say you're, the goal is to find a top eight, top five type of quarterback, not just a, cal a, a starting caliber QB. I mean, I think Fields has shown he could be a starting caliber QB. The question is, does he have enough growth to be a top eight guy? Um, he's shown those flashes, right? He's, he's an elite runner, right? Staggeringly good in the run game with his speed and, and acceleration and burst. And we've seen flashes of him in the past game, put up big-time numbers, in part when DJ Moore's on the field, getting the tight ends involved. Can he ever put it all together? And, you know, if you're the Bears, is that a scary proposition? You're going to let him go somewhere else and maybe do that? Because they've kind of, as we mentioned on the show the other day, like in the beginning of the season, they weren't tapping into all, the, all of Fields' ability. But when they do that, the offense is a lot better. Yeah, it is. I, we're still just too much in the realm, I think, of flashes as opposed to consistency at this point. And yeah, you can talk yourself into this theoretical upside and theoretical uh, ceiling of Justin Fields and say, when it's all coming together and when we've got everything better around him and yada, yada. But now it's going to, now you're going to have to start paying for that, right? So that was one thing when he was on a rookie contract and all of it was cheap, relatively speaking. 
and you know you had some time to work with now it's like okay we're most of the way through this deal we have another shot at a next quarterback that could be um that could be our guy instead he's better than the last time we had this question to talk through and the field's contract is coming up that we're going to have to reassess not just do we want him around but do we want to pay him several times more than he's getting paid right now i just I can't see how you could talk yourself into that being the optimal strategy. All right, let's take it from the other angle here. If the Bears want to trade Justin Fields, who wants to trade for Justin Fields? Who around the league, how many teams would want to trade for a Justin Fields? Um, not, I mean, I mean not, not, off, not off the top of your head, like how many teams, but my thought is there's probably there's a few. Eight to ten. I don't know if it's that many. It, well, first so. of all, it depends like what you're so how many teams view him as a potential starter? Um, I'm looking through here. Like a couple, maybe? Atlanta. The Patriots. So the teams that are going to be this offseason, potentially in the QB market, as I'm just looking through a list of teams here. The Patriots have decisions to make. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Bucks, because Baker's only under a one-year deal here. Right. Um, I think the Commanders are set. Um Broncos probably won't move on from Russ this early, right? And if they do, I can't see them turning to Fields. The Raiders? Maybe. Maybe? I mean, they are. I mean, they're going to well, explore. We're in a world. You've, just, you've essentially just determined that Justin Fields is not a better option than Sam Howell, right? So this is – we're sort of level setting here. Uh, he's not a better option than Sam Howell. I don't know that he's a better option in terms of long-term uh, – Potential or even short-term success than Aiden O'Connell yet. I, I don't know if now I'm maybe more, the next few games will determine that, and it I'm will more, be obvious. But sorry, I'm more just trying to predict what the Commanders are going to do. I think they've, I know they've won four games this year. Howell's been a roller coaster ride, but internally, I think they may have seen enough from Howell that not that they're going to, you know, like if they have a, a quarterback to draft at five, like if Jaden if, if Jaden Daniels is available, and I think Jaden Daniels is going to end up in the top ten at the end of the day from LSU. I mean, that's not going to keep the Commanders. Sam Howell might not keep the Commanders from drafting another QB, but I don't think that they're. I don't think the jump from Howell to Fields or perceived jump is big enough that they're playing in that market. Whereas with the Raiders, draft capital matters, right? Fourth rounder Aiden O'Connell had some good games, had some bad games. I don't think the Raiders are just going to be like, yeah, Aiden O'Connell's our guy going forward here. No, not right now, but like maybe we'll see something from. Him. My point being, at this at this stage, again, factoring in what he's going to have to get as a contract. And it's not, I'm not saying you're going to make him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL or anything, but it's like the Daniel Jones situation, right? You've reached a point now where the options are cut bait and move on, or he gets some kind of like $40 million a year type of deal, because that's just where we are in the quarterback world. And the Giants gave Daniel Jones this $40 million deal rather than franchise tag him. And they now regret it because Daniel Jones is not good. And he can't make cutlets. Can't make cutlets. Um, Justin Fields is in the same kind of situation where you're going to have to sign him to some kind of big deal. And I don't know that there's a tremendously compelling body of evidence that he is better, independent of the contract, than Sam Howell or somebody like that. Other potential teams. Steelers. If they wanted to move on from Kenny Pickett. Mm -hmm. Um, Jets, probably not. I'm assuming Aaron Rodgers will be coming back. Right. Um, 
there's in the back of my mind I'm wondering if the Rams might be in the quarterback market at some point if Stafford's close to retirement you know he's played a lot of football he's still young but I wonder if the Rams might play in that world it's probably too early for the Saints to try to get out of a Derek Carr mm-hmm. commitment uh, the Falcons absolutely I think are a team that people have already pegged because of how much Arthur Smith has liked to run the ball historically and what Justin Fields adds to the mix there and then the Minnesota Vikings are so the other team that comes to mind that's five maybe six teams where he could be a theoretical starter yeah I think those are those are the teams man those are the teams Falcons by the way just seem like the most intriguing one yes because of the players that the the skill sets that they have and again you know put Bijan in the backfield with Justin Fields and even I would want to run the ball <laughs> so um so that's the market potentially and then what what would those teams give up are we looking at like a third round pick here for fields it's not a lot no but that's part of the equation for the bears if you could steal a third round pick for fields knowing you're not gonna have him as your starter then that's great it's caleb williams plus a third rounder you know and then you have that other first round pick when you're, you could you're also gonna... just keep him around as the backup and let him walk once his contract that's gets. another potential option now you're pay- you'd be paying him a you know, significant amount of money to stay around as a backup because presumably you would want to I, don't know, I guess it depends what well you, you could deny so you could turn so what you could do is you know turn down the fifth year option right you have him on the cheap for year four then he walks in free agency and maybe you end up getting some kind of comp pick for that right when he walks you just you get your third round pick you know two years later but that's not a bad play either because he'd, he'd be a he'd be an excellent backup an excellent or yeah. and or competition it's a bit, then it's also a hedge mm-hmm. just in case Caleb Williams or Drake May is terrible for some reason. Right. That's not a bad idea either. Yeah. Keep him as a backup. But I mean, you know, that was the, like, effectively the Zach Wilson plan, right? We keep him around as a backup, as insurance. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was pressed back into action after four snaps. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's also like the human element that you like to talk about. You know, the former, former first round picks just hanging out there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's different from Zach Wilson, where Zach's, you know, getting centered by Aaron Rodgers and right. learning new things. It's more like feel. It's like, hey, Justin, go be a mentor. You haven't you haven't even had a ton of NFL success, but you're going to stick around as a mentor to our young QB. Well, it's not even about the mentor, but it's like in it's much easier, I think, for a guy like Zach Wilson to accept that, hey, I'm not as good as Aaron Rodgers, you know. Whereas I think it would be quite difficult for Justin Fields to accept that he's not as good as a rookie. Yeah. Even if it was true. Now, there's also the chance that it isn't true. And actually, they just want to make that bet to go forward. It is a different dynamic, right? There, it would be very hard for Zach Wilson to, like, reject reality and be like, no, I'm still the best option for this team. Therefore, I'm going to sort of – I'm going to take umbrage with the fact that they've moved for Aaron Rodgers and I'm going to be a dick about it, right? Like, it would have been hard for him to do that even internally where, you know, players are unhinged because they have to think that way to be successful – Whereas with Fields, it's like, no, I'm better than a rookie. I mean, look what happened to Bryce Young last year. Like, I'm the guy still. So it would be a different dynamic in terms of getting him to accept it and therefore having this harmonious, productive quarterback room. The one other – I think the, the case for keeping him, too, would be maybe teams are less desperate here in the offseason. Because like I said, every, every offseason what happens is you have a guy like a Sam Howell um, who – 
is probably is like good enough that maybe a team won't move off of him, won't draft someone new, won't go to free agency. They're going to give him another year. Mm-hmm. But that patience might run out by the middle, you know, week six of next season. Yeah. Right. So plus injuries. We've seen how many quarterback injuries there are this year. Is Fields actually better being on your team, projecting him as the backup, and then you might trade him in training camp or you might trade him yeah. in week four or well, that's week why, five? That's why the list of teams is a little bit weird because, yeah, like theoretically the Vikings need a quarterback heading into next year. Kirk Cousins' his contract is up. You know, Josh Dobbs has already been benched. Nick Mullins is not the future. Um, Jaron Hall probably isn't that guy either just because of where he was drafted. So – you know, theoretically, the Vikings absolutely need a starter. Therefore, would be in the Justin Fields market. But much like last year with the Raiders, like, that's unlikely to be plan A, right? We love Justin Fields. Let's go get that guy. He's our starter. Not like they're, they might turn to him if they crap out with four other options first, but he's probably not going to be the guy they want as a starter. Honestly, you look at the list. It's like the only one that might actually covet him as a genuine starter within the specific offense that could be really good or a big upgrade would be Atlanta. Because there's that natural fit of design quarterback run game paired with an already group insane group of athletes and playmakers and we take more off his plate than anybody else in terms of the passing it's a good fit and you know it wouldn't cost them much to make it happen theoretically someone in the chat is very upset with our falcons takes oh yeah said our pff's falcons takes are trash for some reason cool and i don't know why i don't know if it's because he's a desmond ritter believer or if we just if you take too many shots at Arthur Smith, I'm not sure. Somebody sent in an email, which I think we're reading later, uh, but they they replied to the thread of the bet that they had sent in, which was that the Falcons would have a better record than the Chargers this year, which is actually looking pretty good. Which is that. looking good, yeah. <laughs> They're probably going to— I don't know if that was a pointed, you know, hey, without saying anything, just so you know, like I'm on track here. Or if it was just, I've already emailed these people, I'm going to hit reply to that. I mean, it was close last year too. Yeah. It was close last year. Um, so yeah, that's the the tricky part of projecting fields is the, is the Ritter thing, right? I mean, Ritter didn't show enough other than hope, right? There's, there's five or six teams every year that all they have is like a little bit of hope for the quarterback. Hopium. Hopium. Hepped up on hopium. Yeah, and and it's enough that they're like, I don't, I'm not trading hope for hope because that's what Fields kind of is yeah. still at this point is a, is a maybe a little bit more hope than um, than other teams would have. So, are you in the camp that they should trade? Yes, I am as well, and so I'm intrigued by what they could get for Fields or keeping Fields, but most importantly, uh, taking one of those top two picks. I would also say my. As of like a month or two ago, I went on uh, Mike Renner's podcast hmm. on the quarter, his quarterback ranking show, and I said Caleb Williams is QB one for me. I don't anticipate that changing. And then he just fell apart like the following week right. against Notre Dame. You jinxed him. Um, I, I am I am open to change. <laughs> I am open to change. I also think there's going to be an interesting conversation between do you. Caleb Williams and Drake May and say like the next tier of quarterback, which again, I believe Jaden Daniels might jump into where somebody might say, eh, I might actually rather Jaden Daniels for some re- for whatever reason, you know, without the investment and in pick one or two. So it's going to be an interesting the, draft season. The only other sort of argument for me is um, can Marvin Harris, could Marvin Harrison Jr. provide the kind of impact that Jamar Chase had on the Bengals when he rocked up, right? Remember year one, for Joe Burrow, it's like, why can't Joe Burrow throw a deep pass? This is ridiculous. Like, he was hitting those every day in, at LSU in college, 
And now it's just not there. There's no accuracy. There's no production. Jamar Chase arrives in the building. It's like, wow, the Bengals have the best wide receiver core in the NFL. Joe Burrow has gone back into being Joe Cool. This is all amazing, right? Could Marvin Harrison do that to the Bears, where DJ Moore is now number two? Marvin Harrison is like the best wide receiver in the NFL right out of the box. And suddenly this Chicago offense looks like an absolute freight train with Justin Fields at the helm because they spent that number one overall pick on a wide receiver, which has that ever happened before? Wide receiver number one? Keyshawn Johnson, I believe, ah, yeah, was yeah. number one in 96? Seven, six. It was 96, but I'm trying to think, because, uh, yeah. And then Ke- Kevin Hardy was the second pick that year for the Jags. Is that correct? Uh, it was 96, indeed. He was the number one pick. And does this take me to that draft? Yes, it does. Kevin Hardy, number two. To the Jags. Number three? Number three in 96 was a bust. No. No, no, no. no. Ogden. Was for that team, though, weirdly. Uh, Simeon Rice. Simeon. I, I was about to say Andre Wadsworth. Yeah. I was in that, like, Cardinals edge rusher. Simeon deal. Rice, then Ogden. He bust for the Cardinals. Yeah. This is a bust. Had to, I, go to Arizona, had to go to Tampa it. Bay to be good. By the way, there's a trade in there. Um, was it J.J. Stokes? The, uh, the Niners traded up for J.J. Stokes in that trade. And the Ravens traded back. Got Ray Lewis and like another first round pick. It was just very good Ravensing. No, no Stokes in this draft. I don't was believe. That, um, it must have been a pretty. But it was draft. Ray Lewis draft, right? Oh, yeah. it was '95. They traded up, I think, for Stokes, and then the pick they, they got they that got pick this year. Yeah, ended up becoming sense. Ray Lewis. Yeah. It was a really good trade for the Ravens. Anyway, digressing. So, th- so again, on the balance sheet idea. Also, you're saying, by the way, Marvin Harrison in this draft. There you go. The '96 senior. Twentieth, twenty-first. Nineteenth. Nineteenth. So you're saying the, Bear, the Bears could say, keep Justin Fields, take Marvin Harrison Jr., which they could, by the way, they could like trade down to three and do that, right? You, right. you assume. If you could get to three. Yeah. So the, it would be if they could trade to three or say, take Marvin Harrison Jr., whatever else you get from that trade down, plus, say, a Joe Alter. I mean, yeah, like if you could trade down and get Marvin Harrison, or an edge ideal. But even if you just stick at one, take Marvin Harrison. Like If you believe Harrison is that kind of player, which people are talking about him in those terms, generational, best wide receiver for, for years, better than Jamar Chase, you know, better than these guys that have come in and made that like wide receiver one impact. If you think he can do that to your quarterback, I mean, I can see an argument that, hey, Fields is – pretty good with no real help and you know one wide receiver what if we give him like a top tier wide receiver with this pick and keep him around so it's let's just pretend it's marvin harrison and say one of the tackles or an edge rusher it's latu or it's jared verse let's say it's an edge rusher whatever it might be it could be those two players plus keeping fields plus there's a chance that you could trade out of one and get more picks and still kind of get marvin harrison jr versus caleb williams in only one of those other players, which could be a Malik Neighbors, you know, if you want right. to go the receiver route, could still be the edge rusher. We don't, you know, could be any of those things. Mm-hmm. That's another fair point. And then, but then if you go down that route, again, you're going to eventually pay Fields more money, assuming things go well. You're going to pay him more money. That's the in favor of the Williams uh, May idea is. With the money that you're saving by having the first uh, rookie contract quarterback, that's like another free agent. You're probably grabbing one more starter somewhere on the other side of the balance sheet. So it's like Marvin Harrison, but you might be giving up. If you, tr- if you draft Marvin Harrison, you might be giving up another starter in the other 
situation, a starting guard, a starting linebacker, safety, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. I mean, look, I, th- I think we agree. There's, there's my, the way I always describe it is there's a handful of QBs who are absolute difference makers. And even then, as we're seeing like with Patrick Mahomes, like there are situations where your production can take a dip, right? But they're absolute difference makers. Then there's a slew of quarterbacks when you give them the unbelievable playmakers and the whole deal they could, they could produce. And we know how, how impactful Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown have been. There is this world where you say Fields is QB 15 to 20. That's good enough where you add Adam Marvin Harrison with a DJ Moore, right? Having two ones, yeah. basically. Then we have a nice, effective offense. I think if you could guarantee that, that Marvin Harrison was, you know, Jamar Chase or whoever maybe it would be worth it. I just don't think we're good enough at projecting that to be certain. Like, even if we're going to be, even if we're going to conclude that he is this generational prospect as opposed to player, um, you know, the best since whenever, I just don't think you can be certain enough that that's, he's that guy in order to make that move happen. Like, if you knew that was true, if you had the benefit of, you know, foresight and you could say two years time, this guy's absolutely going to be Justin Jefferson, right? If that's what you knew you were working with, I think it would be worth doing. Keeping, getting him, running with Fields, even if Fields doesn't get any better, it's more important almost to have Harrison and then figure quarterback out later than guess that Drake May is the guy and not have Marvin Harrison. So I could see that argument if you knew that, but you don't. So you would be gambling that that's true. And I just don't think we're good enough at that to be able to make that determination. If you just switched, I mean, if you had last year's quarterback class, it's probably more of a discussion. There's far more question marks, I think, with Bryce Young, C.J. Right. Stroud, Anthony Richardson. Again, no, even with what we know about Stroud right now, there are more questions about them, whereas I think the league will agree Williams and May are closer to slam dunks. Again, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't mean anything is 100%. But It is fascinating, though. Like, the the divergence of opinion on fields is wild at this point. Like, there are people out there that think he's a top 15 quarterback in the NFL – you know, therefore, obviously, you should keep him, trade the pick, do whatever, like just build around Justin Fields. Keep going. Like we've seen it. He's a top 15 QB. You're like, really? <laughs> Based on what? I mean, I, I, I can understand. I can understand the argument, though, because I, maybe I'm too blinded by a QB running ability a little bit. But I, I just think that adds such an edge to your offense. Sure. And we haven't seen Fields with elite playmakers. We've seen it with better now, with more. But like I was saying last year, I don't think Cole Komet all of a sudden developed and became a great tight end. I think Fields' mobility created opportunities for Cole Komet to be wide open in the middle of the field. That's intriguing. He has that. And I don't know if I'm leaning too much on, I've seen him at Ohio State, you know, rip open throws and hit him at the intermediate level where he's been terrible in his NFL career. And I know that was four years ago, but... I'm, I'm somewhat intrigued by finding that balance of his natural playmaking ability and pairing him with, say, if you had a Marvin Harrison Jr. and, and elite playmakers there. I also think that he has been – I think the offensive line has been far better than it feels because of how Fields manipulates the pocket. And maybe the fact that he takes so many negative plays offsets all the positives that I'm talking about too, right? Which is why that all lands at like somewhere in the middle of the pack right now but you don't have too many guys that could, you know, make plays the way Fields does. And I think that's what intrigues people. So that's it. All right, let's talk. We'll talk about Belichick one second here. 
We'll get to Belichick and the Patriots. Uh, we'll, we'll have more on fields. We'll have far more on what this Bears decision will look like. Let us know in the chat what you think they should do and what, they're, what the draft will look like. Fields plus which two guys do you want them to draft or which quarterback do you want them to draft and who else will they draft to pair with your favorite quarterback. Um, but we've got a prize picks lineup for this week. Uh, did Eli put this together again? Mm-hmm. Going back to the well here? Yep. Um, what was the selection? I don't see a more or less here for Kyron Williams. More, I believe, was it's his more. Plan. So yeah, we're Eli's. He's he's positive here. Yeah. So we're gonna go more than sixty-four and a half receiving yards for Jamar Chase. It's gonna be Saturday afternoon, Bengals against the Vikings. So Jamar Chase going more than sixty-four and a half. Debo, Debo Samuel going more than sixty-one and a half receiving yards against the Cardinals. Oh, the Niners get to play the Cardinals this week. Yikes. Kyron Williams of the Rams running back. We're gonna go more than eighty and a half rushing yards. Um, Kyron's gone over this more than this three three straight games three straight for Kyron Williams mm-hmm. so going more 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 Jamar Chase Debo Samuel and Kyron Williams that's our lineup for the week over at prize picks now with basketball season here you could pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues for example you got LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at 10 and a half combo of three-pointers made plus receptions if you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz, you can do that right now. Find the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every single week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy that we needed last week, so the entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So you go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL, use code PFFNFL for your first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL, use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, man, Bill Belichick, potentially out in New England. That's the, um, again, subtle report from our friend Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, Mm. that the decision was made after the Germany game, Bill Belichick out in New England uh, do you believe this and is this the right move for the Patriots yeah I believe it um, I mean I think it's been sounding inevitable for a while I mean on there was another college game day thing right Robert Kraft was there and McAfee or was that yeah it was, that was game the same day, thing right? Pat McAfee right McAfee was kind of like you know everyone knows where it's going we don't envy your you know your situation your decision essentially basically saying everyone knows it's happening belichick gone we don't need to make you say it right now but yada yada uh so it does seem like it's going that way and i mean it makes sense in terms of if it was any other coach it would be obvious right like this thing has been a disaster the patriots are terrible um they're setting like records for futility on offense it's all been bad since brady left getting worse we go in a different direction but only because it's bill belichick i.e the most successful coach of all time. Um, Does it make you pause and go, well, like how much credit in the bank should a guy like that have at this point? Like how much should he deserve the chance to put this thing back on his feet? And from an ownership point of view, how much of an opportunity should you give a guy like that to actually fix it? Like when when does it become apparent that he's not going to put it back together and actually we do need to go in a different direction? Because ultimately... Every single coaching legend in NFL history has reached a point where they didn't put it back together again, and we have to go in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, a, a couple I mean, things except here. Except the ones that retired, I guess. But like I mean, some of them, just the retired. ones that cling, yeah. like clung on long enough, right? 
like have the Don decision Shula made. in 1995, it didn't matter that I he mean, was Don Shula, right? Yeah, and and Mike Shanahan, right? Super Bowl winning head coach, like legend of the team, reached a point, and they weren't even bad. It just like we we're not good anymore, right? We we're we're adequate, we're mediocre for long enough that we're going in a different direction. Sorry, Mike. You know, it happens. The tricky part, well, so I think when you're trying to predict this thing, to me it's not all that surprising that they would move on from him because, again, Robert Kraft has said over the last couple of years, like, I want to win. I want to win, right? right? And I think he, he knows how to separate business from previous success and say, okay, it's just time to move on. And, you know, they haven't had Tom Brady since 2019 now. So they had basically one, one playoff appearance was 2021. And so that was, that was two years removed from Brady. It was like, all right, we just drafted a rookie quarterback in the first round, trending in the right direction, and then things got worse in 2022, and then things hit rock bottom in 2023. And so they were a team that looked like, hey, they're a seven or eight win team coming into the season, and they've been even worse than that. Even if they salvage this year and you know win a couple more games, it's, it's, it's a bad season. I, I, it's interesting to me, though, if they, had, if they had won seven games, I feel like it's obvious that you move on from Belichick. They're just, you know, mediocre. Do you think the fact that the Patriots could actually have one of the top two picks in the draft now, or say pick two, and have a quarterback, do you think it's actually more likely that Belichick could stick around and be part of, of the rebuild? Is that, is that weird backwards thinking that they were so bad this year that it's actually more likely that Belichick is around to be part of the QB selection and, and building this thing back up again? No, I think that, I mean, I think it probably doesn't make much difference either way, but I think if anything, the fact that they, like when you struggle, you have this problem of the clean answer to going in a different direction. The clean answer is picking one or two and having a shot at the next obvious franchise quarterback, even if, you know, that guy doesn't end up being a franchise quarterback. Just the point, the the fact that it's an idiot-proof decision at that stage is it makes it easy to just go in a different direction because you're like, I don't need you know, the veteran experience of a guy that's been here 15 years to go to transition in this direction. Anybody knows the, the pathway we're on now, which is we draft an XQB and he's the guy. So I think when you're picking in that sort of spot, it takes care of itself. So from a Robert Kraft perspective, it's like the decision's being made, right? We're picking this high, we're drafting a new quarterback and we just have to hope that works out. I don't need Bill Belichick to do that. And I no longer have the confidence that he's able to, you know, assemble everything else around this guy to make it optimal for his success either. Yeah, it's interesting because I see points about like Bill Belichick can still coach, right? Bill Belichick's sure. still a good coach. You, I see those takes and I'm like, yeah, I, I could see it. I mean, that again, the defense has had a lot of uh, injuries this year, like others, others have. But, you know, it looks like they may have hit on a star in Christian Gonzalez at cornerback. They haven't seen him since week three or four. Mm -hmm. And they're still competitive defensively. I think he's still a good defensive coach. The problem is he's the GM. He's tied to being the general manager as well. Right. He's, he's shopping for the groceries. He's putting this whole thing together. But the argument against that would be like, all right, so maybe let's say they missed on Mac Jones, the quarterback. The same argument I used about does Bill Belichick deserve credit for finding and developing Tom Brady? Like, yeah, he does. That's his job is to find and develop good players. And he happened to find the best of all time. And he deserves credit for that. And then when you get into like this credit pie, like obviously Belichick's not going to be as successful without Tom Brady, but he was involved in the decision to help Tom Brady have an opportunity to play. But just because he made maybe the most important decision in NFL history in 2001, 
doesn't mean the next time he chooses a quarterback, he's going to hit it out of the park again. So let's say he picks Mac Jones and he missed. And you could argue about that either way because Mac Jones had a good season. He was the fifth quarterback drafted that year. They picked at 15. So did he really have the choice of the quarterbacks? Not really. Right. But you could let's say they missed on Mac Jones. So just because Belichick and the Patriots missed on the last quarterback, same reasoning, right? Doesn't mean they're going to miss on the next one. There's a chance now they might get served up Caleb Williams or Drake May, which theoretically you you got something to work with there, and you and it's and it's harder to miss. So does so does Belichick's past his past success with Brady and his past miss with Mac Jones? I don't think matters in this point. There could be an argument that, like, hey, we're going to give you the quarterback. We're going to give you Drake May, and you're going to you're still a good defensive coach. And these are the ingredients that are going to lead to success. So again, I feel like the Patriots were so bad this year. It's also <laughs> that makes it almost more likely that Belichick could be part of the rebuild because he could be handed a quarterback at this point. It's all down to it all comes down to the Tom Brady dynamic, right? Like the problem I think Belichick is facing right now is you sort of look back at his legacy and it's like, well, theoretically, theoretically, he's the right guy, right? He's the greatest coach of all time. Why would you not want him stewarding the next, you know, iteration of this whole team? But the problem is Kraft and everybody else is now staring at this and saying, Brady won immediately post Belichick. Brady, uh, Belichick hasn't won outside of Brady at all in either direction. How much was he actually, how much of this was him anyway? Like the whole narrative, where we start literally immediately he left. You're like, this is what's going to happen. The narrative, Brady's going to win, Belichick isn't, and now we're going to reassess everything. None of the credit goes to Belichick. And even now it's like the Patriot way. Was it really just Tom Brady being there and stitching everything together? And that doesn't happen anymore. So that's not what, so so now everybody's looking at Belichick and going, well, is he actually the greatest? <laughs> is he the guy? Is he the greatest coach of all time? Does any of it matter without Brady in the building? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's taking away all the credit that he's built up in the bank. The, the wit without stats are pretty damning. Again, you know, Bel Belichick was 5-11 and his first year with New England, 0-2 before Tom Brady took over in 2001. There were old articles that were, uh, resurfaced recently where New England is like last in power rankings they were last in playmakers and running back and receiver rankings and all these different things and then Brady took over and they won the Super Bowl that very year um, and even, even though they did end up having a good defense and they but they weren't it wasn't like they were trending in the right direction so the with without Brady stuff absolutely is probably the the final nail right it is you've had 20, 21, 22, and 23 to build a roster. That's enough time to build a roster. To build yeah. a roster post-Tom Brady, and it hasn't even remained you know, status quo, it's gotten far worse. There's also this whole dynamic. Remember, there was that giant like book tomb of like an expose, the Belichick, Kraft, Brady relationship had soured, it had gone bad. Like it, They're already, I think, in a situation where there is some kind of tension between Belichick and Kraft that wasn't there when they were winning the Super Bowl every other year you know what I mean so if like if things were great between them I'm sure Kraft would potentially be predisposed to look favorably on Belichick's resume and say no he's the guy right I know things have been bad recently but I have full faith in Bill turning this around eventually uh but because there isn't like there's some sort of tension lingering there there's some kind of 
stuff in the background that's already soured this. Now he's looking at it and going, this is just Brady the whole time. I don't have Brady anymore, so I need a new coach. Yeah. And, um, again, as Tom Curran reported, they, they were never going to fire him midseason. Right. He's also a tradable asset. I was going to say, they can trade him away. Like, even if they've decided to move on from him, they're not just firing him. It'll be interesting, you know, because, you, you know, we have a David Tepper in Carolina. Yep. Who um, is a little hands-on as an owner. Probably wants to make a big splash. I mean, he, he's probably going to be interested. I mean, there's Washington, you know, new ownership. Perhaps the end of Ron Rivera there. There are teams that are, you know, going to be interested, I think, in bringing Bill Belichick in. Um, so it's going to be, again, we'll, we'll talk more about it when it comes up. But it was uh, an unofficial report, basically, that Belichick's already out in New England. Could be his last month here in New England, hired back in 2000. After he told the Jets he was not going to take the job on a napkin. Was that on a napkin that he wrote it? Not going to be the coach or whatever he wrote? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I for, or a post-it I, I, note or something. I right? forgot about that. I, yeah. yeah. It's pretty pretty funny. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. It's also like, I mean, think of the crap Josh McDaniels took for bailing on the Colts. Like, it's all in line. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all in line, but it's also like, it's worse. <laughs> oh, like way worse he, than McDaniel's thing. If he didn't have so much success, yes. and he just lasted a couple years in New England, you'd right. be like, what an idiot. Like, what a jerk. Well, not just what an, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not just what an idiot, but like, what an asshole. Yeah. He's, uh, hasn't changed. You know, he's same answers with the media and the whole thing. Um, so bottom line is, I believe it's, I, what, what, what are people, what's, what, what are the complaints about our Justin Fields takes? No, I'm trying to determine that. Am I too positive? No, not I, I, positive I enough? think it might just be that we're talking about it. Oh, we shouldn't all. talk about Fields? Um, do you think that Belichick actually wants to go somewhere else and do it all over again? Like, he, So we've hit this weird world where you're like, this guy is an absolute tool to everybody in the media, right? Like, we're on to Cincinnati. I'm not talking to you. I'm not engaging you. I'm just – like he's an asshole half the time to the media, right? And yet – he goes and does game day, and everybody loves it, and he's great, and he's engaging. He got an Emmy for that thing he did with Chris, the 100 best I, players or whatever. Like, does he actually look at this and go, now's the time to just go to TV? I don't, I don't think – I've said this for years. I'm pretty consistent with it. I don't think the way he answers questions in the media is just to be a jerk. It's just <laughs> to be that way. I, I literally think because he's a football coach mm-hmm. and only cares about winning football games – when somebody asks him about last week's game or whatever it might be, his mind just doesn't operate that way. It, I think his mind just operates like, I need to do everything I can to win the next game, the thing that's in front of me, that he's so process-oriented. Like, that's my – that's honestly been my take on it the whole time. The on to Cincinnati thing was, was literally just him being like, hey, we just lost. We have to go beat the Bengals now. It's my job to go beat the Bengals. I need to just go execute my job. Then when he gets on TV, his job is to talk about football and – you know, do do TV stuff. And that's why he's different. I really think that's what it is. I don't think he's trying to, like, if, if he's trying to withhold information to the media, it's because he thinks it's best for winning, whether it's right or wrong. Other people have done it in different ways and still won plenty of games, right? So I'm not saying he's taking the right approach. But I don't think he's being like, oh, I really got to no, needle I mean, the media here. It's I, I think he's just so focused on the next thing and what he can control, which is what you, as a coach, you teach to your players and you teach 
your employees or whatever it might be, right? So that's I what I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's trying to be a dick. I think he just is a dick to the media when he doesn't want to talk about that stuff. Possibly, but he's just, but when you put him into situations like the media knows, like, hey, ask him about uh, ask him about long snappers on Fridays, and then he goes off on you know yeah, history yeah. of long snappers back to right. the forties, right? Um, but, but that's yeah, my he point. might like he, he might just, be going to TV. Who he knows? has just zero interest in in playing the game when he doesn't want to. It's not that like I'm so fo- I have to think about Cincinnati and nothing else. It's just that like I don't want to talk about what you want to talk about, and I'm not willing to entertain you with a bullshit answer just because you this is a press conference and this is what everybody else does. It's just like no, I'm out on this. Unlucky. I feel like um, so. Did you hear Al Michaels? What he theorized? He just like made up on the spot. Uh, I did, but I don't remember what it was. He basically said, you know, Belichick could could get fired or he could go somewhere else. He could get traded or he could. What if he started doing TV with Tom Brady on Fox? That was it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it was like, no, and Al's got like some prop bet hidden somewhere that like (laughs) Belichick and Brady are going to work together in Fox. That would actually that was like my most that was fascinating because I think like I don't know that Brady's going to be good on TV. Yeah. Um, Like when Bill Walsh was on TV. Because I, I watch old games, you hear Bill Walsh on TV sometimes covering games. A, a lot of Bill Walsh's analysis is that like frustrated great coaches, like man, they're not doing it my way. Right. I feel like Brady, I feel like Brady would probably lean into that too much. Like, oh man, this guy's just not reading the field like he should. Right. But I think because Bel- Belichick's a good, I know Walsh was a coach, but Belichick's a coach and a teacher. I feel like he would bring a little bit more. He might bring more to a broadcast than like a Brady, but I, that. <laughs> that theory of Brady and Belichick on the same broadcast with a host, that'd be hilarious. I that'd mean, I just funny. wonder at this point in his career if he wants to go and just because he's under contract somewhere and they can trade him, does he actually want that or would he just take a TV gig and, you know, be around the game that way? Yeah, you're right. Like his mentor, Bill Parcells, just always, he always had the itch to start something new yeah. and start from scratch. Like he went to Dallas and then he was he in, uh, he went to the Jets and then it- It's actually it, amazing that he did legit just retire at the end of it all now, you know, and still yeah. potters around and does just, just being Bill Parcells. But yeah. like, he felt like the kind of guy that would keep going until, you know, he was medically incapable. Did he, uh, he was in Miami for a little bit too, right? In the front office? Yeah. So he just bounced around with, you know, this, with the GM role, right? With a team building role. And he loved starting things from scratch. Belichick hasn't started something from scratch in 24 years, <laughs> right? So you don't like that. Might not be what he wants to do in his 70s. You know, we made yeah. the same comment about Pete Carroll a couple years ago. Does he actually right. want to do a rebuild? And it turns out they accelerated that pretty quickly. And good for Carroll. Yeah, we had a question about that. Um, let me read you though a question that's along the lines of this uh, Bill Belichick stuff. This one came in from Lee Miles, who apparently is our biggest fan from Jersey. And by that, it's the small island in the, the Channel Islands, as uh, in the, uh. the Channel, as opposed to. Joysy. Old, old Jersey. Where the DeVitos are from. Yeah, old Jersey, <laughs> old Jersey of course. Uh, last offseason, we saw something rare, a head coach being traded for a draft pick. Uh, as a cold-blooded Falcons fan, my initial question is, why won't teams offer multiple firsts for great young head coaches, specifically somebody like Mike McDaniel? I honestly believe he's worth three first-round picks. As a Falcons fan who's seen prior first-round picks turn into Keanu Neal, Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley, etc., it feels like the best kind of decision a team could make. Uh, every team should trust that they can find talents in rounds two to seven. Why not uh, blow your load of a difference maker at the most important <laughs> position, head coach? I'm very intrigued to know if I'm crazy or actually the head coach trade market should be on fire. <laughs> Do you remember the game day when Corso said that? No. He was trying to say, uh, it was like Arkansas like pulled an upset the previous week and he was trying to say, well, they won't 
won't be able to do that again. Mm. And he used the same uh, phraseology that you just used. So it was like right before game day goes off air. And then like two minutes later, like after the kickoff of the noon game, they had to cut back to Corso, like apologizing and everything because everybody's going crazy. Did he really just say that on air? So you might have to. Ah, it's YouTube. You don't have to apologize. Oh, no, you don't have to apologize. Anything you say on YouTube is okay. Also, McAfee's changing the landscape. That dude's just got a running counter between F-bombs these days on ESPN. It's fine. The whole world's different now. Oh, okay. So we're good. Yeah. So Corso Corso was ahead of his time. All right. Ahead of his time. No, it's it's an interesting question because the only coaches, the coaches who get traded for are former Super Bowl winning coaches. Right. It's John Gruden. It's Sean Payton. Which has got to be the wrong way of doing it, right? It's not. It's like that paying for sacks thing. It's not. That's not the approach. You yeah. find the guy that's clearly amazing. That's the guy you target. My, I would do it if I had so much evidence, right? You, how much? How would you have enough evidence that that's the right guy? Yeah. Because you're talking. Let's just say it's two first round. Well, who picks. would? So look at the NFL right now. Who would be the guys you would even want to do it for? Maybe Ben Johnson. So trade for an assistant, not even. You're talking for a head coach. Oh, for an, yeah. for another head coach. I mean, Shanahan. I mean, I think Shanahan's the guy. Yeah, but like, like, why would the Niners even do like that? That's the thing. Of course like, they wouldn't. But like, that's not the. But that's not the question. The question would be like, how many, how many, how many head coaches would you even want to be phoning and saying, I got two first round picks if you're interested for this guy. Shanahan's absolutely one of them. Andy Reid's got to be another one, right? Is that it? But Andy Reid's getting older, so you... you yeah, but, must, you, but yeah, that, right. assuming, you, assuming you felt you had enough runway with Andy Reid going forward for him to be the guy long-term, like, has McDaniel put himself in that conversation yet? Clearly, he's an amazing offensive mind. The Dolphins haven't been as successful as you would probably need them to be to make that happen. Now, sure, people will argue Shanahan hasn't either, but... I, I mean, mean, I think Shanahan, like, when, you're, when you're evaluating this stuff, it's not as simple. Like John Harbaugh, maybe. Yeah. Because here's the things I would look for in a coach. Have you had success in – this is the, the, the whole argument that's working against Belichick is the answer to this next question. Have you had success in different scenarios, right? So if you could argue Bill Belichick has only had success with Tom Brady, if you view it through that lens. You could, if I, I could look at John Harbaugh and say he's won – He's won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. He's built a team around Lamar Jackson. I mean, that puts Mike Tomlin in the conversation. It puts Tomlin into the conversation, but I, I feel like the I feel like the Tomlin conversation, though, you could also couch it the same way as you do the Belichick one, because has Tomlin actually has he actually done anything without Big Ben? And it's similar to I'd say the Mike Evans thing. Is it is it impressive that Mike Evans has had a thousand yards? his entire every year of his career yes it is is Mike Evans a very good receiver absolutely has he ever actually been a top five to ten receiver elite game-changing receiver Eh, fringe I would say Mike Evans is very very good but Tomlin's compliment is this like arbitrary he doesn't he doesn't have a losing record but it doesn't mean he's winning championships he won one 15 years ago and he had Big Ben making a miraculous comeback right does does that matter going forward? So Mike Evans has been the model of consistency, as has Tomlin. But does that mean that's like that's what you want on the team? You want to assure yourself nine wins, or do you want to win a championship? I don't know if Tomlin's the guy that gets you there necessarily. I mean, just because he's had this consistency. Yeah, he's also only had two years without Ben Roethlisberger 
most of which have been spent with a yeah, a brand new rookie quarterback in a year that was historically terrible for quarterbacks, and we have no idea if he's good or not. Like, <coughs> excuse me. You know. oh, I think his the secret sauce to Tomlin is he's he's outperforming the underlying metrics that usually win, yeah. lead to wins, and will consistently have you a good team, almost come what will come what may. You know, is clearly a good guy in terms of setting a culture and sort of getting an organization on track. And yeah, maybe you know, like if you want to guarantee a Super Bowl in the next five years, he might not be the guy. But if you want to make sure that your team goes from like basement dwelling irrelevance to good, like playoff team most years, he'd be a guy you'd throw a couple of first round picks towards. Um, so the, the Harbaugh thing is, okay, the guys had consistent success with different quarterbacks. The Shanahan thing is, I, I again, I go back, I say this, I think every podcast, every everything he's touched offensively has been elevated. Right, every quarterback that he's touched has been elevated. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a baseline. That's a win. I can hire I can hire Kyle Shanahan, and what the Niners have done is basically split. You know, given defensive control, split the control between John Lynch and Shanahan, and they figured it out. So I definitely do that for Kyle. Sean McVay is an interesting one. I see him getting a ton of credit for his ability to adapt offensively, and you and I thought that was his weakness for three years. Right after 2018, I thought it took him some time. He has adapted, but has McVay put himself in that conversation? He's not. He doesn't have the same elevate the QB resume as a Shanahan, despite being you know his buddy and coming from that tree. Right. But McVay, I think, has overall done very well with what he's been given. He's got a championship, mm-hmm. you know, if that matters. But I, I don't know that I would go out of my way to trade for him. No, I honestly don't think it's a long list. Like I think it's pretty short, but. I mean, every time I needed a new head coach, I would pick up the phone and see if it was going to happen. Like any team that's going to start over this year with their, like David Tepper or whatever, any team that's starting over with their head coach, I would absolutely, every single time it came up, phone San Francisco and say, how many picks would it take to get <laughs> Kyle Shanahan? And I'm sure most of the times they'd say, there's no, there's no trade you can put in front of us that we'll accept. But yeah. I would make the phone call. And, and I want to... The one last thing I want to clarify about Shanahan, because he'll have his detractors who say, you know, he loses the big ones, he doesn't make comebacks, or whatever it might be. You're t- the winning a championship. If if that's the only goal, and you you can't just judge future success by past championships because there's only one winner every single year, and there is something to again. I'm talking down like Tomlin just winning at least nine games every year. That's not really a massive accomplishment. But Shanahan has been in the NFC Championship every single year that he's had his hand-picked quarterback. And in a year where he didn't have his hand-picked quarterback, Garoppolo, and he took the last pick in the draft, Brock Purdy, and went to the NFC Championship. So that's that's like the Andy Reid baseline, right? Andy Reid brought the Eagles to four straight NFC Championships. That's a very high baseline where it's like, okay, you could get lucky one year and win a championship, or you could eventually get Patrick Mahomes and get, get over the hump as a coach like Andy Reid did. So that baseline is so high for Shanahan. I don't care that like there was a failure here, there's a misthrow there. He's going to get me to the NFC Championship. He's got this track record there. We're gonna, like, Shanahan's going to win a championship at some point, right? You, you'd feel good about that, that the baseline's so high. That's why I would put him on that list. Yeah, I think the reason that it isn't such a hot trade market is I think there's just such a small list of guys that you think are independent of the quarterback really good that's that it. it's worth yeah. doing right so you're looking at this and you're saying it's shanahan 
if you could be convinced Andy Reid had 15 more years left in him, maybe it's Andy Reid as well. We don't even know if Mike McDaniel's in that conversation yet because they haven't been successful enough to make it happen. You've got Tomlin and Harbaugh, maybe, although yeah. each one of them, you know, there's there's at least some sort of question. That's it. And most of those, the phone call would immediately be hung up on. Like they just say, no, we're not interested. So I just don't think it's as big a market as you might think it would be. It's the same number of elite quarterbacks. I think elite coaches yeah. that are absolute difference makers. And the three guys that we've mentioned, Harbaugh, Andy Reid, and um, Shanahan, have all had success with multiple quarterbacks. And Some the, level of high Final Four type of success with multiple quarterbacks. And the outcome for the phone call to explore trading for each of them would be the same as trying to trade for Patrick Mahomes right now. Like if you phoned up, like theoretically, every team in the NFL each offseason effectively should be phoning up Kansas City and saying, hey, what would it take to get Patrick Mahomes from you? And each one of them would just be immediately <laughs> laughed out of the, you know what I mean? There's no point. Like you don't make right. that phone call because you're immediately going to be told there's nothing you can put in front of us that we're going to take to make this deal happen. So I think that's the same for the coaching thing. Yeah, theoretically, every single team should be trying to get Kyle Shanahan every year. But if they did, the 49ers would just say, no, sorry, he's not, not for sale. All right. You have, uh, you have other mailbag questions here? Yeah, more mail. More what mail. What else we got here? Uh, do you want to do the news first, the other injuries, uh, other actual injuries? What happened? We, so, Connor Williams torn his ACL, done for the year for Miami. That offensive line now is creaking, having been a weakness on paper all the way through the year. Um, the Browns are just dropping offensive tackles left, right, and center. Jedrick Wills and Dewan Jones are now done for the year. After, of course, losing Jack Conklin at the start of the year, which is the only reason Dewan Jones is in the lineup in the first place. So they're now down three starting tackles, effectively, for the rest of the season, with Joe Flacco as their quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great for the Browns. Both, yeah, obviously, Nick Chubb And early. Justin Herbert is the other one done for the year with so his broken finger. That was kind of expected coming out of the show, uh, the game the other day. So let's start. Connor Williams, the center for the Dolphins. He has been very, very good. And you're right. I mean, it was coming into the year. It was like, hey, you feel pretty good about, uh, pretty good about Connor Williams, Teron Armstead, maybe right guard. A couple question marks elsewhere. You've got some development on that line. But Williams has been just outstanding here. This will put to the test what we've said is this – the offensive line as a as a group gets elevated by the Shanahan and McDaniel systems. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that that everybody's interchangeable, right? Um, it's also been weird that Connor Williams and Tua have had so many snap problems this year, and then there was you know problems with Eichenberg the other day as well. The snaps for such a good offense, man. And it didn't just, look. I mean, that one looked on Tua. It looked like, like it, it looked was like, Tua. It looked like it hit his hand. A lot of them might just be Tua. Yeah. I mean, it it is amazing for such a good offense that they're like that they can't complete a snap as often right. as they do. Uh, maybe it's because he's lefty. Brunel had some snap issues at various points in his career. Yeah. So I'm putting two and two together. It's because he's left-handed. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a that's a blow for Miami where, you know, it's the time of year. you you got to stay healthy. Um, same thing with the Browns, losing both tackles. Um, yeah, not great. Flacco, at this point in his career, probably needs better pass protection than most. I mean, I think it's a real concern – for Miami, first and foremost. You look at that offensive line against Tennessee, it was Kendall Lamb at left tackle, Lester Cotton at left guard, Eichenberg for most of the game at center, uh, Robert Jones at right guard, and then Austin Jackson at right tackle. None of those guys are guys that you would want starting, I think. Right? Yeah. Like, that's zero for five in terms of guys you would actually want to have as your starting offensive lineman, I think. We just had it up on the screen, and this is why come draft time, you don't sit there and just fill your needs, right? When when the Browns drafted Dewan Jones, 
it was like, all right, there might be a long-term play here. We can move him to left tackle at some point if Jedrick Wills never really develops or we want to let him walk. He's a great backup to Jack Conklin because he's had so many injuries. You just drafted a really good swing tackle. And it turns out DeWan Jones was thrust in the lineup even earlier. Is really, really good in pass pro. Uh, has some work to do in the run game. Now you don't have all three of them. Right. Three starting tackles down for the Browns. Yeah, it's not great. And as you mentioned with the Dolphins, I mean, it, that, it's, that, it's tough. I think for the Dolphins, it's it, it's tough in must-pass situations because even the other night you see Austin Jackson just getting whooped on a right. key play um, when the Dolphins are trying to make that comeback. That's where it's harder to protect the line when you get into those close games late, not when you're when you're up 20 and you're using all your trickeration and misdirection. It's easier to hide those players. When you get to playoff time and everything's tight and yeah. it's drop-back pass game, that's when those guys are in, under more pressure. Now, they should get a couple of players back, theoretically, um, to that offensive line. Like, obviously, Teron Armstead. But Teron Armstead, at this point, you basically have to budget in missing 25% of the time, right? And that could show up at any point. Uh, but that theoretically, that offensive line should be a bit better than it is right now. But in its current state, it is a problematic thing that might be capping how good that offense can be, even with Tyreek Hill in the lineup. And then, yeah, the Browns... I mean, look, there's, I don't know that there's any team in the NFL that could overcome losing three starting offense, starting caliber offensive tackles, even if their quarterback wasn't Joe Flacco. With that being the dynamic now, I mean, that's really asking a lot of this Browns team to still be good and, and good enough to beat teams in the AFC playoffs. Yeah, they'll be relying on that defense a lot down the stretch here. Um, and then Justin Herbert, going to be out for the season. Broken finger on the other hand now. Yeah, the, well, the broken the index finger on your throwing hand. That's on the problem. throwing hand. Um, it, I mean, look, we, we were assuming Brandon Staley's done at the end of the year. This just furthers that point. I mean, Her Herbert's out. Not a great season for the Chargers. They underachieved for the 15th straight year. And that's it. <laughs> Not much to add. Putting Easton Stick into the lineup. Hockey equipment will or be to, starting. To give him his full name, Easton Yellow Synergy Senior Hockey Stick, the 60th. You saw that on Amazon. Yeah. That's great. I didn't know his full name before now, but that's what it is. <laughs> you should add that to Pro Football Reference as his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> What's his nickname? Just all that stuff in his, the middle. So all his middle names, Yellow Synergy Senior Hockey. Yeah. It's a disappointing, obviously, a disappointing season for Herbert. Um, we've been trying to break down the Kellen Moore experiment this year and you know did it work did it not work you know where where did it land I, I don't I don't you know how at the end of uh the Cowboys run for Kellen Moore if you looked at his rankings in everything in like how he operated play action and motion it, he was like 15th yeah in absolutely everything not even in how well he coached in just how he coached great yeah I feel like that's that's my feeling on Herbert. I don't know that it was – I think it was probably probably better than what they previously had, but it didn't elevate Herbert to these incredible heights either. Um, I also think the confounding variables, as I've said a few times now, are the playmakers, man. If your whole offense revolves around Keenan Allen getting open in the 5 to 12-yard range, that's their entire offense because that's who they have as dependable pass catchers. So I think Herbert was better. I think he did throw the ball down the field a little bit more effectively. He upped his turnover-worthy plays as we re as we requested, you know, be a little bit more aggressive. But I think this ended up being more of a personnel issue than than we had anticipated coming into the year. So I think Kellen Moore was more good than bad. And I I honestly think if they do move on from Staley, Kellen Moore might be in the 
in the head coach running. Like he'll get interviewed, I think, as the head coach. Just I'm sure I'll get interviewed. Just to yeah. try to keep – I'm not saying he'll, he deserves it or he gets it. And uh, Predicting head coaches, like who the heck knows, man? Do you think this year has enhanced his candidacy versus this time a year ago? I think it's neutral. Because last year he got forced out of Dallas yeah, last year, right? Like his his, his name, like Kelly Dallas. Moore's, from the Dallas perspective, they love this, right? They're like most of them. I mean, obviously, you know, can't paint the entire fan base as one with one brush. But like, I think the prevailing wisdom right now is we got rid of Kellen Moore. He was holding this thing back, and now look at us, MVP Dak. Everything's good. No, no, you're right. I mean, the addition by subtraction yeah. aspect of it probably makes more looks. Like there was worse. a weird thing in the off season where like both sets of fans were happy. Like the, for the same move, right? The Chargers are like, great, we got Kellen Moore. And Dallas are like, great, we got rid of Kellen Moore. Yeah, I mean, again, but it's like judging Mike. There was such a bitter taste in people's mouth watching Mike McCarthy in his last couple of years in Green Bay because it felt like, oh, Aaron Rodgers isn't producing at the same level. Maybe McCarthy, it wasn't McCarthy. You know, he, Brian Schottenheimer is also the offensive coordinator in name, right? And he took a ton of flack through the years for being – a Schottenheimer and conservative and this and that. Schottenheimer was there in 2020, the last time Russ actually cooked, and this year in Dak's MVP caliber season, right? So when you start to put all these pieces together, every, like when people don't like a play caller or an offensive coordinator, it's not always right because Schottenheimer took a lot of flack, and all of a sudden his the last two things he's touched have been gold, and the last thing Mike McCarthy's touched now looks like gold, right, with, with Schottenheimer here. And then, yeah, it makes Moore look bad because he went somewhere else, but I still think he did better with the Chargers than, than they had previously. Well, it's going to be a fun offseason, breaking all this down. we have anything else? Uh, yeah, uh, this one. Ah, here you go. Do you like question for GM Sam, not GM Steve? Oh, boy. Consultant general manager Sam, would you target triple option quarterbacks in the draft and attempt to turn them into wide receivers as the ultimate rugby-style pitch-play gadget weapon? Ah. Uh, I know I can trust that guy to read it out and make decisions. Zach Larrier, is that his name? First-round pick, question mark. You're the – the question's directed to you. It is. The question is – so we're going to have somebody on, actually, in a while uh, to talk about rugby-style – pitch play we are trickery yeah yeah i gave you i, I told you um i don't think i would uh i absolutely am still pushing for this idea of lateral should be a bigger part of off of nfl offenses they should be built into the system more they should be practiced more we should be normalizing the kind of stuff that travis kelsey tries to do not so much off the cuff madness because that way jacoby myers lies but more actually designing sort of simple either or decisions for receivers in plays right you can draw up plays so that there is a designated trail runner to specific receiving patterns and then simply empower your receiver to make the choice right is it open is it not yes or no if it isn't eat the ball the way you normally would if it is make the pitch it's not that hard i absolutely would be in favor of doing that i don't think i would go like full you know, lean into like the most extreme offense you can think of, find those players, build the whole thing around them, because I don't think you have the practice time to make it happen. I think if you want to prove proof of concept for something like that, you have to do it at the high school level, at the college level, where you can demonstrate that with a certain amount of practice time, this can work, right? And then like the whole thing needs to move in your direction, right? Like the, the league, the NFL needs to start stealing those ideas and go, hey, well, this is... 
this seems to be tearing it up at this level. Let's incorporate some of this into our thing. And then you get the sort of proof that, hey, it works at the NFL level and everybody embraces it and moves in that direction, right? Like we've seen that happen with option stuff, with QB rushing, right? That 10 years ago, you'd be like, you can't expose your quarterback to those hits. What are you doing? This is madness. And now you've got Josh Allen like launching himself at <laughs> linebackers every play, right? Yeah. So I think that kind of thing needs to happen slowly and as an institution. You know, the NFL needs to come to where you are. I don't think you can do it as like a one-man road coach because you're going to last a year and you get fired. Can't you just start with end-of-half plays and just kind of redesigning those? I know, I know the famous last play that Zeke ever played for Dallas. He's the center and got popped. But like the idea of having all-skill position players out there. Yeah, whatever. I don't think – I actually think that's the worst place to do it um, because I think – You're not going to draw the defense on those. Well, you might – the problem is for that to work, you need like a rugby team. Right? You actually need a rugby move where the entire line is working together and they can execute like an entire backline move to move the ball consistently like seven passes deep, right? And that's hard to do because you, you literally need to teach an NFL team how to play rugby. That's not going to work. What I think the easiest thing to do is to simply say, this is a play we draw up that works as a football play. But instead of this guy, once he's not the read, doing nothing, right? I keep coming back to this one Arizona did years ago, and I don't think they even did it deliberately. It just, it was an accidental quirk of the play design. On one side, they had like a fake bubble screen, right? So they had, it was a, I think a two by two formation. The outside receiver, you know, smoke screen, fakes the thing. The inside receiver runs like a post or whatever, just a clear out route. And then from the other side, they had a shallow drag. I don't remember what the other receiver was, but it ended up being that once they went away from the, the fake bubble, the fake screen, and went to the shallow drag, the defense forgot about the guy that faked the screen because he's irrelevant now, and they all closed in on the drag. And now that shallow, that the bubble screen guy is wide open. Right. And once the drag sort of turns up field, he's like a, he's an easy rugby pass away from being completely free down the sideline, right? Or at least a two-on-one where if the shallow drag guy draws the last defender and then pops it to the side, that's that's a two-on-one that's an overlap that's what rugby tries to do on every single play and the and the cardinals like accidentally did it by the by the play design if you draw that up as a thing so that that receiver knows i fake the smoke screen and then i start looking towards where that pass is coming i linger on the sideline you know i, I get myself in position essentially to trail that guy then the guy with the shallow drag all he has to do is to draw that last defender and pop the ball outside and it's an extra 20 yards that's where i think the easiest way of doing it is um how much we talked about the risk the other day i i, I likened it to going forward on fourth down but more extreme right because yeah. when you fail on fourth down as i've said your win probability takes a much bigger hit than obviously if you punt yep so it, it's it's a bigger risk reward because you're talking about like if you if you fail on fourth down you lose a possession but like you're up against losing the possession anyway if you fumble lose one of your 10 11 possessions in a game mm -hmm. It's a massive risk. It is. For the payout of a big play, right? That, that's the risk reward here. We're talking a massive win probability swing yeah. either way. But I would argue it's a, it's a risk that teams are already taking anyway, and they just decide to only focus on it for this specific scenario, right? Like if, if the risk of you never want to throw the ball laterally because 
you could fumble it. If you fumble the, the if you fumble the ball away, that's a loss of possession. That's catastrophic. It's a turnover. It's the worst thing that can happen. It's a terrible idea. Well, then why are you ever attempting a double pass? You know, the the backwards pass thing, right? Why is that ever happening? Why would you ever pitch the ball to a running back instead of handing it off? You're just increasing the chance of a fumble. With yeah, Derrick Henry. Are, those are easy. But that's the thing. It's the same skill. The pitch play to Derrick Henry that they made a balls of against Miami, right? But all he does, that's all I'm asking the guy to do. Turn around and pitch it to a guy standing five yards away from him. Yeah, and they couldn't complete it. I mean, that is... But my point is, they do that. They run it. But there's an argument against that, too, right? There's an argument against that when they... Like, they've changed how they do end-arounds and reverses now where they actually toss it up. They used to put it in the belly, right? They used to hand off on well, all end-arounds and reverses. Right. They started pitching them, but we do see those fumbled every now We do, every but now again, then. they still run them. So it's like, what is the easiest way? This is not a difficult skill. Does that mean it's going to be 100%? You're going to get every one of them right? Of course not. But it means that there's a way of like modifying the risk that we don't see it as this catastrophic, high-risk, high, like tightrope act that is going to inevitably end in disaster. Like, you can... It's a very simple skill to pitch the ball five yards to your outside. And if you don't think NFL players can execute that skill, there's five things you're already running on offense and need to come out of your playbook. Um, yeah, I think allotting just like a couple roster spots for that, though, I think is a, is a challenge. Like if, if you're going to add these plays here and there, you do have to teach it as a team, spend some practice time on it. When you spend practice time, your opponents will eventually have to spend practice time. So maybe that you get that back theoretically, but yeah, I don't know about specific rosters. No, I don't. Like I don't think you embrace. I don't think you need to. Like that's my point. I don't think you need to go like 100% into this thing as like this is our offense. I just think that I have several extremely talented, skillful ball, uh, like ball carrying players on the roster already. Why would I not trust them to execute a simple either-or decision if I draw it up in the play design? Like, it's very easy to do that. That's where I would start pushing the boundaries with the rugby skills. Add a few plays, man. Add it in. All right. That it for today? Uh, we have one final question, the, the Discord question of the week. This one came in from hmm, Alec L 2 uh, Jared Goff, question mark. How do the Lions proceed with him and his flaws? So we've gone from a few weeks ago, Jared Goff was like in the MVP race to now Jared Goff is Jared Goff again. And the Lions consequently aren't as good as they looked before. It is interesting that this has coincided with the 2018 Super Bowl run, where I think there was, if, I, if you go back and you, if you have premium stats 2.0 and you, you could sort, you could filter by weeks, there was probably a point in the 2018 season where Jared Goff was ranked third or fourth in our grading. He may have ended up top five or six anyway by the end of the season. But there was that point where he hit he hit a wall. The scheme hit a wall. It was a little bit later in the year. But he did slump, right? And I guess that's the – when we have very – when we have said mid, mid-tier for quarterbacks in an endearing term, it, it, it speaks to either a lack of an ability to carry a team – or to just have that week-to-week consistency. And Goff has just never had like a, I mean, he's human, right? A 17-game stretch of pure consistency without bad games. So when he was sitting there as a 90-graded quarterback a few weeks ago, there's definitely a part of you that says, well, that's not his baseline historically. So he either completely changed and got better, which is possible, or he's going to regress a little bit. So I think he's hit this point of regression 
and you know he's down in, at 80 overall right now, which is still very good, right? If you just give, yeah. gave me the season in isolation, it's his best season as a Lion. And he's ranked eighth right now. Yeah, he's still very good. Um, so I think part of it is just he's gonna he's gonna come out of it. Eighth is a passer, drops to 13 if yeah. he just overall. He keeps turning the ball over. He keeps putting the ball in, in harm's way. Um, I think it's just a slump, and you you have you have the schematic pieces and the playmakers to get him out of this. But for whatever reason, he's not seeing the field really well. So that's like a – it's not a GM thing for me. More than 50%. That's like your, co- your coaches have to get him seeing the field and not putting the ball in harm's way the way he has been. Go ahead. More than 50% of his turnover-worthy plays have come in the last four games. Yeah. That's it insane. feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. And, it, and so this is why um, if you look at last year's grades and stats, Goff was best in the last eight games of the year. His turnover-worthy plays went way down. Early in the year, he was getting away with some stuff. So, like, you can't predict when quarterbacks are going to go through their stretches. Streaky. Right? They're, like, they are streaky. Like, Josh Allen, I think, is so streaky, right? When he is hot, he is as good as it gets. When he's bad, he, it's, it's ugly. Um, so, yeah, it's tough to predict those things. That's why it's also – it's really tough as an analyst to look at, say, like Jordan Love and say that his good stretch just happened – and it's the most recent thing we saw, and it's an easy narrative that the guy that needs more starts has gotten better. Therefore, he's there, right? But he just regressed again the other. Like, what happened? What changed? You know, like, oh, he had a tough, you know, tough place to throw, and you just guys again, guys don't always just get better. Predicting when they have these stretches is difficult. Well, there, so they are heading into next year will be the final year, right, of his contract. Um, which at the time he signed it, obviously was like massive, you know, one of the best paid quarterbacks in the league, if not the best at the time. And then very quickly, like the Lions took it on almost as like a, you know, a, a salary dump as part of getting the, the trade for Matthew Stafford. And then decided that actually at this point, enough time has passed. The cap's gone up enough that it's a palatable enough contract to just keep him around on. But now if it's expiring next year, if next year is the final year of that deal, like what do you... Do you want to keep him going forward as your guy? And if so, what does that contract need to look like? Maybe for a couple of years at a similar price. But, you know, we, the, re, the reason why we've been talking QBs for the Lions the last couple of years is we usually look at that through a lens of be early rather than late. Right. And so just get somebody in the building. You know, they got a Hendon Hooker in the building to maybe develop. So I would keep taking shots at that position in the draft and then see about – Will he stay on a similar deal? Because, again, the, the discount that the Lions got was not having to pay his signing bonus yeah. in the trade. And I think they either – they may have stumbled upon, because I don't know how, if they believed Goff would be this good, they may have stumbled upon the new way of getting the middle-class quarterback deal. This is why – we'll talk about this this offseason with Kyler Murray. This is why Kyler Murray is more valuable to other teams than he is the Cardinals and team should be calling about Kyler, especially if the Cardinals end up with a top two pick. Yeah, but the real sort of cheat code about the way the Lions did it is they they got the trade collateral. Like, he was part of a deal that was shipping off somebody else, whereas the Kyler Murray thing, contractually it's the same, right? Arizona has already paid his signing bonus. Like, the majority of the big money being paid to this quarterback has already been taken care of by somebody else, or at least a huge chunk of it. So he's a bargain relative to his contract, right? That's the same as the Jared Goff thing. But unlike Jared Goff, nobody's going to pay you to take him away. 
Like you're going to have to give up picks to get Kyler Murray as opposed to, hey, while we're while you're trading for our guy, can you throw Kyler Murray into the deal? That's did, the difference. It did solve two problems, yeah. right? You got you got massive draft capital and you got a middle class type of quarterback yeah. contract. So that like that's the difference between that and any of these other deals. Like you can't just sort of build a strategy now around, well, let's just go get the next big money quarterback that the team wants rid of. Yeah, it's it's not one to one, but it's something, right? The something being you, this world you're talking about with Justin Fields. How do you avoid paying a guy $40 million or moving on from him? There's no middle ground. There is at least a world where that exists now. Yeah. Even I mean, though it's not one-to-one to like what the Lions did. All right, I get, great show. Like, I'll with stop all, it in the table. Okay, yeah. With all these questions, I think it comes down to the asking price, right? Like, I think the Lions have seen enough from Jared Goff that they would want to keep him around. But if Jared Goff wants to be the best-paid quarterback in the NFL, that's that's a tough deal to get to. Yeah, I agree. Well, good show, man. Uh, A lot of fun. Tomorrow we've got week 15 action. We'll be previewing every single game, full slate. So we'll be quick and efficient, as always. Mm. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow as we preview all the week 15 NFL action.